You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. And, um, but today, I'm going to talk and speak on a very, very important subject, and it's about how to raise up world changes. I'm actually talking about parenting, but if I said parenting, you go, oh, parenting. But parenting is such a powerful privilege, such an honor. And I, and I think about in the life of our church, we probably, who knows how many young people, potentially, I mean, there's even already over 100 children, easy, that we would be raising up to be world changers. But imagine from TV, from Facebook, going Facebook Live, there's parents that are listening. And if I, I really believe if you put this into practice, you, you'll raise up world changers. The reason why I say world changes because I don't think any parent would go to start becoming a parent because they want to raise up children that will just sort of go with the status quo. You know, just mediocre. Just become mediocre. Just don't make any waves. No, but I really believe there's something inside of parents, especially as godly people, people that love God, that we've got kingdom inside of us, and we want to raise up children that will actually change the world around them. When they are released into the world, they actually change the world. They bring the kingdom of God everywhere they go. That's my faith as a parent. Kristen and I as parents, our faith to raise up five children, or we are raising up five children, one we've already raised, thank God. Um, Leon, who got married last year, and... um, I think we've done a pretty good job with Leon. What do you think? <laughs> anyway, I'm saying this because a lot of people, I know you guys know, but a lot of people on air, on Facebook, on uh, TV, people out there that are listening don't know, but we have five children, four boys and a little girl. Our little girl is 11. She's amazing, but all our children are world changers. We actually received a word from Sean Boltz, and he saw five smooth stones, this is his word, that would be released into the generation. They'll input to the generation and not take from the generation, but they'll change their generation. Five smooth stones. So that's our heart's desire as parents is to raise our kids to change the world. And, and you know, as most of you already know, Leon and, and uh, Vanessa, they're already traveling the world. They're already, they've gone, just went to South Africa in December, speaking into a conference, a young people's conference of a thousand young people impacting them. Just got back from New Zealand, another youth conference, plus into the churches. And same with South African churches, doors are opening up. They're influencing people already, raising, leading youth in this church, leading the worship team, being a pastor full-time. It's one of my sons. The second son, Josiah, is not here because he's preaching in another church. And, and, and you, I was so blessed to hear him seeking God, worship on the mu- in, the, in the room and worshiping God, seeking God. Boy, he's preparing his heart and he's, pitch, he's speaking on finances. 20-year-old guy. Who's already put a? Anyway, I don't want to go into the details, but but he's he's preaching into other churches. God, you know, and he's already a cluster manager of three stores. I'm very proud of him. He's an, he's he's impacting the world. He's gone into change the world. Ethan, who's my third son, who's doing acting school. He's got a passion to be an actor, and he's already changing the world. He's already got a YouTube channel. He's already doing short films. I can go on and on and on, and same with my brother Tony and Heidi. And many parents in this church, your children are becoming world changers to influence the world, to, to change the world. Not just to, oh, I just want to raise up children just so they can just barely get by, you know, just survive. No, that should never be our heart. Our heart is to raise up God in them, that they reign in Christ. Reign, they rule and reign with Christ because Christ has made us to rule and reign. 
And so God gave us the authority of the earth, didn't he? He said to the mankind, he said, to male and female, go rule and take dominion over the earth. And so we are doing it under God. We're doing that. Amen? The reason why I say that is because if I'm going to speak about parenting, I've got to be doing something right, hopefully. You know, like um, we are raising five children. Ezekiel is an amazing son. There's a beautiful son here. And he's got such powerful potential. Evangeline, amazing. We can go on and on and on, but... I think, God, there's a lot of things I did wrong as a, as a father. There's a lot of things we did wrong as parents. It really is. Um, so I'm not talking about all the wrong we did, but there must have been something we did right. So I said to God, God, what is it? What is it that we stumbled across, did right? Obviously, definitely, the foundation is because of our relationship with God, 100%. But there were some things we did right. So I, I, I said, sat before God and said, God, what are the things? These aren't everything we did right. I'm sure hopefully, there's other things we did right. Like I said earlier, we've done a lot of things wrong. Some things that are probably, I look as a father, I think, God, I felt like I I let that down. or I had lack there or I could have, you know, the things that you neglect as a father. You're quite very aware of your inabilities, even your insecurities of things that I could have done that I didn't do. Um, And so if I didn't have it with my dad, I have to learn it from my father in heaven to to impart it. So, but anyway, you, you you feel like you fall short. Even though you've done a lot of things wrong, God takes what you did do right. And so I want to encourage you, even with our weaknesses, even with our mistakes, even with our faults, our, our sins, things that we do wrong, God can still take what you do right and change your children to become world changers. Amen? So these are the things that I believe are foundational. They're not everything, but they're, they're the main things that I think we need to do. There's 10 points. See if I can get through them. The first thing that I think we did well and right and still have to do this, it's not finished it's right till we get to heaven. It's having a close, intimate love relationship with God. As parents, we have to demonstrate it. We have to be living it. It's one thing talking about it. It's even one thing going to church on Sunday. But are we Sunday Christians or are we everyday Christians? We've got to live our life before God all the time. Because you can't fool your children. You might fool other people, but you're not going to fool your children. You, you can't pretend that you know, you're close to God and on fire because they see right through it. They, I, I don't know how they see it. They just see everything. They know everything. So that's how I feel. They just sense everything. They pick up everything. They're not, they're not silly. You know, they're very, very wise. Um, basically, when I look at it this way, you can't give what you don't have. So if I don't have a close relationship with God, I can't impart it. I can't give it. If, I'm, if, I, if I don't have maturity, if I don't have security, if I don't have trust with God, well, I just have faith and trust. If I'm full of fear, worry, and anxiety, in, in reality, I can talk the talk. I can say, I have trust in God, I have faith in God. And then inside, internally fear, they will catch what I have. There's, a, there's, an, there's an inside rest that should just be resonantly there, if that makes sense. You've heard the story. If I say I have the mumps, but I really got the measles, doesn't matter how much I say I've got the mumps, you won't catch the mumps because I've got the measles. You would catch the measles if you came close contact with me. So I can talk about, I've got the mumps, I've got the mumps, I've got the mumps. You should see I have the mumps. But what I actually have, if it's the measles, you'll catch the measles. So I can talk about my walk with God, my faith with God, my intimacy. If I don't have it, you'll catch what I don't have. So important. You can only lead people into where you've been. So you can only lead your children to where you've been. So it's almost like this. Put a... A circle around you, and that, that little circle, you inside of it, you're responsible before God to keep that person on fire, to keep yourself revived, on fire, make sure you're, you're in love with God. It's one thing, get saved, and I'm, I know God, and now for a few years I'm on fire, and then you fizzle out. But 
since 1987 I got saved. It's a long time. If you do your maths, 31 years. And I'm still got to make sure that person in here is on fire. I've got to make sure I don't get distracted, too busy, too, 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 too busy doing other things. I don't spend time with God. When my Father refreshes me, when God pours His love into me, He fills up my tank. I encounter Him. I don't read the Word just because I need to have some knowledge. I need to encounter Him. Holy Spirit intimacy. He speaks into my life. says, Leah, this needs to let go. You need to give up this. He's, he's always operating in my heart. And if, that, if that's not in place, to me, that's the foundation of raising amazing children. It really is the foundation. Um, you can't fake it. You can't pretend. But you have to set the pattern. You have to be the example. I think one of the things we tried to do is be the example. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make the harsh words. You must pray. You're a Christian. You're a, 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 I never said you're a pastor's son. Didn't never have to use that because we're Christians. I do what I do because I'm a Christian, a follower of Christ. And not because my image, I'm not, never worried about that. It's about following Christ. Amen? Amen? And so I want to live the example so, so the children just, is that what you do? And they will follow the footsteps. So the one... The important thing is having a close, intimate relationship with God. I can't stress that enough. And only you are responsible for your life. And when you take care of yourself well, you will influence your wife and your children. Because you have the authority over them. Amen? So take care of yourself with your relationship with God. Absolutely vital. Um, number two is, I think, some of the things we did well. Uh, could I have done this better? 100% I could have done this better. I could have done the first one better. <laughs> uh, my relationship with God, you always feel you can do better. But number two is spend quality time with your children. Make sure you spend quality time with your children. You need to, again, if you, you're not going to rub off on them if you're never spending time on them, with them. Sometimes they say fathers have spent two minutes a day with their children. The world's got them for six hours at school and you, we spend two, three minutes. How are we supposed to influence them? So we, may, we have to make sure we prioritize time with them. And I'm telling you, the, the Please understand what I'm saying when I say the world and the system of this world. I mean, we send them six hours a day, which is fantastic. Great school, our school. But when they come back, sometimes they've got two, three hours of homework. It's almost like the system, you can't even spend time with your own children because they've got to get into, they've got to study. Our school had 20, 30 minutes supposed to be of homework. You're supposed to be, but it ends up being more. But anyway, that's just another side thing. Because I just think the importance of fathers spending time with their children, one-on-one, you got five children, there have got to be times where you spend one-on-one. As a father, I mean, when I first started to have five children, it didn't happen straight away, but little by little, as we, because we weren't planning a big family, and after three boys, and let's try again, yeah, four boys, and I suppose inside of you, you always think, God, am I, am I going to be able to love every one of them properly, and pour my life out for them properly, and spend the quality time they deserve properly, and you always feel your inadequacy, and then five children, you know, um, so, so, there's always that desire as a father. You know you have influence over them one-on-one, but also the days off. I mean, our f- days off Monday. And so when, before they went to school, every single child had their four to five years close, intimate time with mum and dad on Monday, all day Monday, hanging out, going out, doing, do, doing things that we did, um, spending time regularly with them. Holidays, we always took four weeks off. We weren't so busy that we just, oh, you know, I haven't had a holiday for 10 years. That's not very smart. Have a holiday, four weeks every year, and spend time with your family. Your children will remember. Someone told me when, they were, when I was young and they were older, your kids will remember your holidays more than anything. Really? 
And they go, yeah, they remember your holidays. I go, wow, I never thought about that. And so they remember holidays for some reason because you're having fun. And so um, obviously dinner time, having a certain amount of time together. I know it's, we're living busy lifestyles. And as they get older, things change. They're, they're committed. They've got work. They've got relationship with their you know, girlfriend and so on. And things will change. I understand that. But do your best to have some dinner time regularly where you're having dinner at a particular time, having connection with one another. Um, be at their games. Be at their graduations. Be at, you know, if they're in, in a sport and stuff. Um, I used to get, you know, my, just as I used to say, no, you were at my game, but you used to always be on the phone. I said, no, I wasn't on the phone. I always watched every single try you scored. Every time he used to call him bulldozer, he'd smash through and score a try. I saw it, and I think one time he saw me on the phone, and he, now he never forgives me. He just thinks I've been always on the phone. But, you know, sometimes he jokes around, oh, Dad, you're the dad that's there but never there. I said, where? Because they've got high expectations. When you speak about this openly, they've got high expectations of you. And so sometimes they'll just keep putting expectations up. So that, you don't let them rule because God's got to rule. But it's so easy for them to bring demand, demand, and say, oh, you're the, you're the dad that's there but never there. And then it becomes a joke. It's like, you, you want to know about a dad that's never been there? I can tell you about my dad, you know? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Don't have to have a, a healing session. No. <laughs> now my Luna Park story. My dad used to promise me one day when you get old, you will go to Luna Park. When I was a kid, when I saw Luna Park, and someone explained to me, I was three or four years old, and, and I saw a face, you know, a smiley face. You go in there and there's rides. I mean, to me, it was like another world. Rides, roller coasters, merry-go-rounds, and all this. You know what it was. Really? And Dad, when you, if you be a good boy, I'll take you. It never happened. <laughs> I had to take myself. <laughs> With my kids, of course. <laughs> so quality time is so important. You'll remember it. Number three is our responsibility as parents is teach them about God and how to have their own relationship with God. So from day one, you tell them stories, Bible stories. Bring them to life. Put some acting into it. Talk to them about David and Goliath. Talk to them about these stories. Bring it to life. Read Bibles with pictures in it and just read with them while they're young, when they can't read. Get the Word into them. Every single story, every single seed, you're planting the Word. You're planting the seed. And as they grow up to become readers, they can read, they read themselves. You encourage them to read. Come out to Bibles. Before you do anything, read the Bible for half an hour. We encourage them to. Again, this is so important. I believe it's our responsibility. Uh, if, if we're going to raise up good children, yes, share Bible stories, teach them, read the Word to them, teach them to read the Bible for themselves, but be planted in a church. I'm telling you, this is one of our main keys, being rooted and planted in the life of a church. Because I really do believe it, I do believe it takes a village to raise children. You could be an amazing dad, but you're doing it all on your own, you're going to miss out on what God has put in place in the family, in the community of believers. In, it's just God's kingdom. It's God's body. God puts us into that body, and we're a special part of it. And so we're going to raise up world changes. You have to be committed to church life. Now, I've seen people lose this commitment, but I've seen also the consequences of their children in the long term. So in other words, so they, put their, you know, they got soccer on. One family had soccer on Saturday and rugby league on Sunday. And so they weren't coming to church anymore for months. I said, oh, what's happening? And they told me. So what about 5 o'clock? Come to the 5 o'clock service. That's why we've got three services. Choose a service. Make a commitment to, well, I can't come to the 9, oh, back then it was 10 a.m. At least make a commitment to the 5. But excuses, excuses, excuses. And you know what? In the long run, your children will suffer. Because they're seeing you're putting their sport in front of God. 
you're making their, you, your children more important than your relationship with God. So what we did in all our life, we traveled since the beginning. We had five children, we still traveled. The nations. We went to South Africa many, many times, been on the NCMI team, traveling. We would take two kids, three kids, all babies in the bassinet, and you praying that they don't wake up in the airplane. You know, and, they go, eh, 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 and everyone's asleep, and you go, no! And you just don't, don't want to wake them. To, you know, at nighttime when your kids are sleeping, you just hear them, and you're half asleep. Oh, no, no, no. Please don't wake up. Every parent knows what that feeling's like when you're so tired. We've done all that. Five children. It stretches your capacity. But even the traveling, we never said, oh, we can't travel because we've got kids. We just took them with us. I mean, I took Leon to India. He's about 10. I took Ethan to India when he was nine. I took Josiah when he was about 10 or 11. And I've taken Ethan. Ethan has come twice. Ezekiel's turns. He should, be, he should have gone by now. But <laughs> it is coming. He loves the curry, so he's coming. Evangeline says, no, I don't want to go to India because she can't handle curry at all. But I've taken them to those trips. We've taken them to our, we, we got, you know, like they always know dad's going to India. For the last 25 years, I went to India almost every year. So they've had to say goodbye two weeks away, lose their dad and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? They're not worse for it. They're better for it. Because deep inside, they know this message is true. My parents put God first, even before me. And yes, the world's lost without Christ. And, and without Christ, only Christ can save us. We're going to hell forever. Without Christ, we're lost. And we believe that message. That's why we go around the world to do our best to share the gospel. The good news is Christ done it for us. He paid the price and it's free. We can be forgiven. We can have a love relationship with God. And so in, in a sense, the children are watching going, well, you really believe what you, what you say. You believe the message. And I, I've seen the opposite. When you put your kids first, and make them number one, you actually lose them. Trust me. I've seen parents in over the 27 years of ministry, I've seen parents, for whatever reason, stop coming to church, lose their fire, lose their commitment. And then, and I think in my heart, the kids are three years, five years, four years. I feel, whoa, they're wet clay. Wet clay means you can mold them to good, towards God, or to the opposite. It's your choice. But you don't realize what you're sending. And eventually, when they become teenagers, it becomes hard. If you don't do the right job when they're young, under 10, 11, do the right job. You do that really well, it becomes easy when they're teenagers. So these things are really, really important. We need to um, set the pattern, set the standard, set the example. When God is number one and you are putting Him first, they will see it. They automatically see it. These are, I'm just saying these are some of the things I believe we did right. And so it just... It, it rang that message out. Number four, really quickly, I think this is really important. That's why I put it in there, is have a lot of fun at home. Have a lot of fun raising them up. Have a lot of fun and enjoy each other. Why is this important? I'll tell you why I think it's important. First of all, because heaven is full of joy. Heaven is a place of laughter and joy and happiness. No depression, not one moment, not one minute, not one second of depression. Full of joy. So our homes should be full of joy. We should have an element of joy at home. So when we, you know, like I'm raising the children up, I mean, when I come home, they should be so happy. They should be excited. Dad's home, dad's home, dad's home. And, and, and you play, the playful fights. I mean, how many playful fights we've had with our boys growing up? Um, when they're little kids, you, you know, you, they're three years old, four years old, and you fight on the king bed, king-size bed, and you're picking them up, throw them up in the sky. You know, the, you know, little kids this small, 
two, two, me, I'm not that tall. <laughs> but still, I'm almost three times taller. And imagine me playing with an adult two times bigger than me. And he picks me up and throws me in the sky. It's full of joy for the kids. Not for the mother. The mother's freaking out. But she's, she always never could handle us fighting on the bed because as they get tougher and stronger, you're still fighting. And eventually you just stop fighting because you're smart, like me, when they get stronger. But Ezekiel hasn't fought me for a long time. And I always say, I know why you're not fighting me because you're waiting until you get stronger than me. Then you'll fight me. Anyways. You know, he says, I'm just an old man. <laughs> Having fun, take him out, let him have a lot of joy. We've done theme parks all the time. Our holidays were full of fun, went to theme parks. By God's grace, we, we went to Disneyland. It's beautiful. What a memory. Never forget it because we're family to have fun together, enjoying life as we do. And it's not just holidays, holidays. We actually did a lot of ministry and work together and still had fun in the process of it. So it wasn't just... We were, we were on a mission. We're still having fun, you know. When we got to India, we had fun, you know, um, and a lot of work too. So don't get me wrong. Number five, if this is going to work really well, if our parent, if parenting is going to raise up world changes, impact the world around us, we're going to need boundaries, rules, and schedules. Children thrive with boundaries and rules, and if you don't have it in place. Because let's say you love them so much and just let them be free. Or where would you like to go to bed? <laughs> Never. Or I want to go to bed when I'm tired and I'll go 10, 11. I mean, if you let them choose their bedtime, it won't be when you need them to be in bed. Right. Believe me. And, and so we had our bedtime with, when Leon was young was really, really bad. <laughs> we used to put him down, I think, it was really, really young, 6 o'clock. I mean, that's baby stage, obviously. And then they got all the changes, but I think 7.30 was probably, am I right? 7, see? 7 o'clock when he was at a primary and in early high school, I think he found out all his mates were staying up at 9.30, And he's going to bed at 7.30, then he got to 8.30. But, you know, you, you obviously change that and adapt that out. And Evangeline still goes to bed at 8.30. And if she doesn't go to bed at 8.30, she'll be tired in the morning. And very grumpy and really agitated, little things. And you wonder why. And if you do that to your kids, they have to somehow adapt. And the, as they adapt, I don't think it's good for them because they're almost constantly grumpy, chucking tantrums. So if rules need to be abided by, and, and so you have to have rules, you have to have schedules. Rules are to protect us, and they actually release security into the kids. If I was going to drive over a bridge, over a massive canyon, and there were no boundaries, like no, no boundaries on the side of the bridge to protect the car from going over, first of all, I wouldn't feel secure. I'd drive in the middle, and I would be freaking out. If it's like, imagine walking across a canyon like that. And let's say, let's say you've got enough space for a car, and you're walking. There's no railings at all, and you're walking. It's windy, and you're not going to feel secure walking across a bridge over a canyon. But as soon as there's railings, you feel secure. It's a boundary line there. For kids, it's the same thing. They know that's the boundaries. I'm not allowed to cross that. This is what I'm allowed to do. So we're not not allowed to do. You can't play on the street because there's cars going. <laughs> The reason we've got rules is to protect you. But I want to play in the street. I want to play cricket on the street. No, you don't get to play on the street because there's rules. It's not safe. You can't play in the front yard, front yard unattended. People are walking past. There's, you know, there's certain rules that are going to be in place for the safety of your children. So don't think rules is wrong. God's got rules for us. You know, Ten Commandments was saying it was to give us happiness. If we just kept the Ten Commandments, we'd have been a beautiful world. So, so boundaries, rules, schedules are so, so important. Um, 
we did a, you know, our, one of our rules is your homework was at 4 p.m. You get home from school, have a snack, have a break, maybe half an hour TV, and then they could have um, homework. Instead of waiting till they eat at 6, 6.37, then they watch a bit of TV, and then they do the homework at 8 when they're spent and tired, wrong timing. So certain rules work for them. Now, you know, our kids aren't allowed to watch TV from Monday to Friday. To Thursday, Friday night, they're allowed to watch it because it's weekend. But, you know, it's hard at first, but you know what? They, they're studying, they're, practic- they're, they're doing, they're reading. If they can't read, can't watch TV, they're going to read. They're going to develop their brains. So there's certain rules are good for them. If you want to have a, you want to raise up children, if you don't have this, they're not going to be ready and prepared for the world anyway. They'll break the law. They'll have no rules. There's no rules at home. We do whatever we want. So, so boundaries, rules, and schedules are really, really good. Gives them, gives them security. I would love to talk more on that, but the other one that's really close to that is loving discipline. So they need to be, there has to be disciplinary action from disobedience. So it's consequences. So you, you, when, someone, when a child will stretch your boundaries you put out, will we'll test your authority, will always. But you don't, don't discipline a child for being a child. I remember someone, uh, when I was younger, and, uh, uh, they were elderly, they said, I oh, never, never discipline your children just because, just because they're being children. In other words, you don't discipline them because they're loud and having fun. They're playing and playful and having fun and loud, and I want some peace and quiet. I'm tired. I just got home. So I'm disciplining them for me because I'm tired. They're just being children. They're just having fun. But we discipline them for rebellion, for testing your authority, for disrespect, for lying, Breaking the rules in the house that it's clear, clearly known. But the, the most important about discipline is make it clear. That it needs to be clear in their minds and be consistent. So you don't correct one thing this week and next week you let it go. And the next week then you correct it again. Be consistent with what you're going to be disciplining. Um, I think the Bible do, does talk about that spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. And a rod needs to be used properly. Never ever in anger. Now I've done it in anger. Hopefully just a few times. But I've disciplined many, many times correctly. The way I believe we should do it is you should always explain to the child what's going to happen. Never out of surprise. It should never come to them, got a smack and they didn't know it was coming. That's wrong as well because they're going to be like this around you because you just gave them a backhander or smacked them. You explain, you know what you just did? You just disrespected or what you did, you talked back or whatever it is. You just lied. Because of that, there's going to be consequences. Tonight at this time, we're going to have to get a smack. Now, obviously, when they're young, Smacks work really, really well. Because you can't reason with little ones. But you have to do it correctly and it has to be appropriately to the disobedience. But usually you'd explain to them what's, why they're getting the smack, put them over your lap or put them down, get them to get ready. They know it's coming and you smack them on their bottom. Nowhere else. Bottom's cushioned by God for this, <laughs> for this purpose. <laughs> has to be a little bit of a sting or else it won't work. Now, I know every child's different. Sometimes you might have a child that you smack them and it's quite hard and they still don't listen. There's still consequences you can take away from them. Use other forms of discipline. But I remember Christine was going to smack Josiah for doing something wrong. And Josiah's running around the house or the table or something. And Josiah goes, no, mom, you haven't explained. You haven't explained to me. You haven't explained. Like he was pleading his case because he wants to have it explained before he gets to smack. So Christine explained it to him why. And then he got his little smack. And if you do the smack correctly, with love, without anger, you know what happens? They come to you for hugs. They come to you for love. They'll be on your lap for the rest of the night sometimes, just because they want to be close to you. It actually draws them closer. God is a father that disciplines. The Bible actually says that. 
that if we're not, if we're illiterate, illiterate, illiterate children, he won't discipline. But if we're his children, he'll discipline us. They do it correctly. As they grow up, obviously things change. Um, taking away PlayStation for the night or for the weekend because they disobeyed you is a powerful one for young kids. Very powerful. It works. The most important thing about taking away things is you have to keep your word. You have to keep your promise. Also, make sure it's appropriately applied to the disobedience. If they do some little act of disobedience, that's it, you're not going to watch TV for the whole month. Like, it's a bit too much. It's not, it's not, not fair. It's not exactly just to the crime they committed, you know, the little disobedience. So, so be fair. Be careful what you just declare. Because, again, if you declare something, you're not going to follow through with it. They're not going to listen. You have to be appropriately Whatever you speak, make sure you follow through. If you're in the car and they're, they're chucking a tantrum, if your child chucks a tantrum at home and you finally tired and give up and give in, oh, well, just give it to them, you know what you're saying? You're in, saying to them, that's great. Do that tantrum and you get what you want. You're enforcing that behavior that every time I chuck a tantrum, this works. I just got what I wanted. So it's very, very important that you win the battles, especially when they're younger. Uh, Leon Van Dill said to us when we were young parents, and he says, ah, oh, you have five children. Ah, because he had five daughters. Five, I think. Five or four? Four or five. And he goes, ah, oh, he goes, nah, it's all a battle. It's a battle. He goes, make sure you win most of them. Because children just always test you, don't they? Always push the boundaries. Always push the... So you've got to win most of your battles because you're setting the pace in the sense you're, you've got to set the authority in place. So, so important. Do it in love. Make sure you follow through with your word and your promises. Don't ever say something you're not going to follow through or say will not listen. If you get this right, we used to go out to restaurants, we used to go to cafe lounges when they were young, five, you know, like five children, but all young. We would sit down and eat and have peace. So many compliments come up. So many people, usually older people, they go, well, it's just amazing. You can sit down with five children and eat. So many times they gave us compliments because it was very rare to see children behave in public. Because if you don't win it at home, you'll never get it right in the public. Sometimes we had to say, keep that up, we're going to the toilet. We have to go to the toilet and give them a smack in the toilet because there's too many people around. So just to be wise on how you do it. Or when you get home, this is what's going to happen. Give them a consequence. And then follow through. Very, very important. Number seven, I think some of the things that you have to do this really well is, the Bible says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll never depart from it. Very, very important. Train up a child in the way they should go. Every child has a way they should go. Not the way you want them to go. We all have a vision and a plan and aspirations or desires for our children, but they have a particular way they should go that I believe it's by God. In other words, God has placed them here on this earth. In Psalms 139, the Bible is very, very clear that every single day ordained for us was written in His book before any of our days came to be. So every single day ordained for your children is written in a book in heaven. God's got a plan for your child. So we're trying to match them to God's plan. Sometimes God's plan, God's purpose, God's calling isn't what yours is. You've got to help them find their calling. You as a parent should know their strengths, their giftings, their weaknesses, what they would be good at, and then encourage them to do that. Sometimes it's against what we want. I know that. Sometimes it's, you want to do dancing? Dancing, of all things? Shouldn't you, you should be a lawyer. It pays better. Be a dentist. Make a lot of money. But don't push them into what they don't have passion for, they don't have a dream for, they don't have a vision for. 
Find out what God's put in their hearts. So encouraged. I think so, so important. Number eight, something that we did, I think, well, I trust we did well, is use your faith in God's words and use your faith from God to help create the world around them. There's a, as a father and as a mother, we have authority. How do we rule and reign? By our words we speak. How do we take dominion? By the words we speak. God created the whole universe by the word He spoke. He spoke everything into existence. We're made in His image, so we speak things into existence. You, and you have to do this on purpose. So that means you never speak doubt. You sp- never speak unbelief over people. You speak the words of God over people. Something simple, but this is what we, I would do, something like this on purpose. I would say, because I was always concerned that when my kids became teenagers, they'd be too tough to give me a hug in front of their friends or show affection and, and emotion and just show love and hugs and stuff. I'm Italian. I, I need hugs and kisses. And so I said to them, you know, when they were five years old, six years old, seven years old, very tender, young age, I said, when you become a teenager, you're going to still hug daddy, aren't you? And they go, yes, dad, of course we will. So you're not going to be ashamed of me, are you? No, no, dad. So you, we're going to hug no matter what. Yeah, for sure, dad. And we always hug each other. I'm never going to be ashamed of you. I'm planting a seed while they're young, watering that seed on purpose. I did it over and over. And so by the time they were teenagers, they were always happy to give me a hug in front of their friends. Never, ever, you know, well, no, you know I, don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I did something on purpose. Now, that's true about everything. I would say things like, you're, you're special. God's going to use you greatly. God's got an amazing plan for you. Imagine being a young kid and your father saying that over your life, right? I'm going to be great. I'm going to do great things. God's got a special plan for me. And you're just speaking greatness over them. I never had that growing up. I didn't have a father that spoke vision and destiny. Fathers are created by God to create, I believe, to, to give a destiny over them, to help their identity and their destiny. So our, as fathers, speak the word over them. Now, you can't do this unless it's real with you and God, is it? When you've got a real love relationship with God and He fills you with faith and He fills you with the Word, and you, it just, it's just natural. He gives you vision and you can't see your children any other way. And so it becomes natural. It's not like I have to do this. I have to put this on. It's just natural. You just speak it. I, I truly see my children to do great things for God. I'm not trying to convince myself. Mm, I think they're not really that good, but I, I, I should say this. No, I know they are. You're following? Yeah. It comes from your relationship with God. Number nine, the other thing I think I did okay was pray for them regularly. Pray for, God's going to be on the scene. How's God coming on the scene? I mean, this is one thing that some parents don't ever do. But I've prayed thousands of prayers over my children for their wives and, their, and her husband. Think about it. By the time they turn 20, I prayed almost every night. And I say, Father, thank you. And I pray for them when they go to bed, release them, you know, give them a hug, Father. And I pray, Father, fill them with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus. Open up the eyes to the hope of their calling, riches of the glory of their inheritance. Ephesians 1, uh, Colossians, open up the eyes to, the, to Christ. That Christ may be dwell in their hearts by faith. They'll be rooted and ground the love of God. Let them see God. Let them see destiny. Let them have encounter. Let them have vision. Pray that you reveal yourself to them. Angels, show them. I'd speak that out over them almost every night. Sometimes while they're sleeping, speak it out. So when you prayed prayers like that over and over and over and watered it and with faith and that, you think God's not going to answer your prayer? Of course He's going to answer your prayer. It's a righteous prayer. Of course they're going to find the perfect wife. Josiah, Josiah's got his one that's getting married next year. You know, like you pray it in before it even happens. You're speaking it out. You're praying. God's on the scene. So, so important. And that's true of their destiny. That's true. And you feel like, oh, God, show me the key to this this child, what's his child? What's his key? What's her key? What, what am I missing? Show me something. 
and he shows you so you can speak into it. Last one is 10 and is, is, is demonstrating the supernatural element of God's kingdom. Like living under the supernatural realm of God. In other words, if it's all intellectual and there's no reality, kids won't follow. They look for reality. They want real. But if you can't show them demonstration of God's power, where you pray for someone, they get, they get healed. Where they had a sickness and it's gone. Miracles, I mean, provision, miracles in our, in our family. They saw, they've seen the favor of God, the provision of God. We pray for something and it happens time and time again. I was saying, uh, even Joshua Mills, um, when he came to our church, and he's someone that has a phenomena of gold dust that comes on him while he speaks. I mean, he comes up, he did it here. He came up here and the Holy Spirit came on him and gold dust started to peel over his body. But when we had him in when Leon was around 13 years old, and I never forget it. I'm sure he won't forget it. But I remember seeing blue sapphire dust on Leon's hands. Blue, and appear, manifested from heaven, blue sapphire dust. I mean, that, that changes you forever. Because I know, I know what I saw. It looked like, like an oil base, but it was sapphire blue, sapphire dust. And I remember him seeing it. Christine saw it. We all saw it. Uh, you, never, you can never forget that. There's a supernatural element of God. You pray and you say, God, when we pray for someone in the hospital and they got healed, they were on their deathbed. They had blue, I mean, sorry, they had boils all over their bodies. This lady. And she was bandaged like she it was a burns victim. Totally bandaged all over their body. They tried everything, put her on antibiotics, all this sort of stuff. And she was dying, getting worse, getting worse. And she was, her face was massive. Her lips were big. Everything blown up. And when we prayed for her, she said, I saw a beast. A, a picture of a beast, an Im- image of a beast over her bed. I said, that shocked me. I didn't expect to hear that. I said, oh, really? Well, what happened when we prayed? She said, it went. I thought, oh, that's good. Then it sounds like you. I said, I, said, I don't know what to say. I said, well, yeah, I believe you're healed. Three days later, she was out of hospital. And when you see that sort of stuff, and you see that, you, you believe. And your children are better for it. So there's some of the things that we did right. And I encourage you to put this into place. I'm convinced if you do this, you'll raise up world changes. And it is our responsibility before God. The reason why God chose Abraham, you know what he says? It's because I know you will teach your children after you. The Bible says that. God chose Abraham because he knew that you're going to teach your children after you. And there's a psalm in the uh, book of Psalms that says that. True, it has to be in the book of Psalms. <laughs> it says that God, I can't remember the psalm, I'm trying to quote the number. Um, it says that because they did not teach the works of God to their children, their children rebelled. They did not teach the works and the miracles of God. They didn't tell the stories. Because of that, the children rebelled. So it's our responsibility to tell our kids, tell the next generation, the works and miracles and provision of God. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.